reading this evening is from the second book of Samuel, uh, chapter 13. The 13th chapter of the second book of Samuel. I must acknowledge just before I read this portion to you that if left to my own volition, my own choice, I probably would not have wanted to minister on this particular chapter. I find this chapter that we're about to read one of the saddest chapters, one of the most grieving chapters, certainly in the books of Samuel, but perhaps even wider than that. It is the story of Tamar and Amnon. God has preserved this in his word, and therefore we can't ignore its message when the Lord lays it upon the heart for it to be ministered. And I trust you'll follow carefully as we read from verse 1 through to verse 21 of 2 Samuel chapter 13. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Ammon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaniah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man, and he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down in thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat it at her hand. So Ammon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house, and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down. And she took flour, and kneaded it, and made cakes in his side, and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan, and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have out all men from me. And they went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the maid into the chamber, that I may eat, 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 eat. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made, and brought them into the chamber of Amnon her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, 
come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thy this folly. And I, whether shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Howbeit, he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Then Ammon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Ammon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called a servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. She had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then a servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of diverse colors that was on her and laid on her hand and on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. We'll just end our reading there at that verse 20, knowing that God will add his own blessing to the public reading of his own precious word. Let's just briefly unite our hearts together, please, as we pray. Our Father, as we turn to thy sacred word, we know that every word of God is pure. We know also that it is given to us by divine inspiration, that it is profitable for us. And we pray that even in this story tonight, we might glean much profit. Hide this human instrument behind the cross, for this is thy word. We pray that it may come as from thyself and grant that no man will be seen, save our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we humbly and reverently pray. Amen. The account given to us by the Holy Spirit concerning these perverse activities that were inflicted upon the innocent Tamar by the wicked Amnon is a solemn reminder that the passage of time has neither altered or addressed the natural deceit, the natural darkness, the natural depravity of the human heart. It is alarming to think 
that our scripture reading could so readily provide a pattern for many in this 21st century. Today, multitudes of testimonies are being recorded of events, if authenticated, must be catalogued on the same level as the incident before us. Having read this story on several occasions during my systematic reading of the scriptures, I confess that I failed to concentrate upon a question that Tamar posed to the iniquitous Amnon. You will find it there in verse 13. And I, whether shall I cause my shame to go? Although I suspect that all of us present will have an utmost sympathy for the victim and an utmost abhorrence for the perpetrator, the shame that Tamar speaks about is an issue that must be considered through the preaching of the gospel. There can be no doubt about the evidential innocence of the king's daughter. But to leave the house of her half-brother in the manner that she did exposed her to depths of despair that she should never, never have experienced. While the chapter ends with the recorded death of Amnon, I am very conscious of this fact that there are some very profound lessons to be learned and some invaluable instructions to be gleaned from this story. The first of these is the unprofitable attributes of sin. The feelings that Amnon had towards Tamar were originally deep and initially possessive, and that to such a degree that they affected his physical and his emotional health. This was observed by a friend of Amnon's who wondered why a son of the king should be so physically impoverished, and his response was, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. I should point out, in the interest of clarity, that while Tamar and Ammon had the same father, namely David the king, they had different mothers. And in the conversation of these two friends, they decided to put in place a devious plan uh, with the objective to to arrange a set of circumstances uh, that would bring the half-brother into visual contact with his half-sister. The opening act centered upon Ammon faking sickness, which then would be followed uh, with a visit from the king who in turn would positively react to his son's request uh, that the king's daughter uh, would become a nurse to uh, the sickly patient. But Amnon had a corruptible intention, festering in his heart, a desire that he expresses in verse 11, come lie with me, my sister. Tamar's reaction was to resist this verbalized assault upon the virtuous principles by which she sought to live out her life. However, 
he forced himself upon her in a manner likened unto a brute beast. I'm, I'm very conscious that much, much more could be extrapolated from the details of this attack. But it is important that we highlight the fact that there is no pleasure, there is no satisfaction, uh, there is no happiness, uh, there is no profit grown from the seed of sin, whatever that sin might be. And this is confirmed uh, through Ammon's own lips. In verse 15, uh, Then Ammon hated her exceedingly, uh, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her, and Ammon said unto her, Arise, be gone. This dramatic transformation in his life that was once driven by love and now driven by hate is, is most startling. It's not as if it was an incremental change. This was instant in the briefest of moments. I cannot deny that there is something exceptionally filthy about sin. For the Word of God compares it to the debilitating disease of leprosy. With great sadness, I can recall a meeting with a dear lady just 24 years ago who had fallen into sin in which she described how filthy she had felt as a consequence. As we search through the scriptures, we quickly discover that no one emerges with any credit deposited to their life in the aftermath of transgressing the law of God. After Cain had murdered his own brother Abel, he soon came to this conclusion, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And when David had violated the commandments concerning adultery and murder, for he was guilty of both, he entered the vaults of human misery, crying out before God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Although the attraction of sin was particularly strong to his carnal sensitivities, he soon discovered that he did not possess enough of life's natural resources to pay the debt of his iniquity. Have mercy upon me, O God, was his opening expression of prayer. Motivated by a false seal for Judaism, Saul of Tarsus summoned all his energies to engage in a campaign to totally eradicate anyone who would promote the message of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And few, in any, few if any, in this generation could have reached the intellectual ability of this ardent Pharisee. He was the genius of the geniuses, the mastermind of the masterminds. 
But when confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he realized for the first time that his conflict was not with God's people, but that he was damaging his own life by resisting the convicting power of God the Holy Spirit. His message to the Romans on this matter is very revealing. He said, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Daily we are reminded of the devastating power of sin as channeled through any number of intoxicating addictions. Lovingly we declare that God has given us his word not to impose upon the sinner unbearable burdens, but to present to them the unquantifiable blessings of his love. For he says to the sinner, I am come, that ye might have life, and that ye might have it more abundantly. When a young man or a young woman, an older man or an older woman, is brought into this saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the purity of that relationship has a profound impact upon every aspect of our human associations. Husbands love their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Children obey their parents in the Lord. Older women become as mothers to the younger. Older men become as fathers to the youth. These are some of the profitable attributes of a life that has been transformed by the power of the gospel, which are in conflict with the unprofitable attributes of sin, as Amnon quickly discovered. Allow me, if I may, to say one thing to the young people in the service tonight. God has given to you two, two very special attributes. One is your soul. The other is your body. And I say to you very lovingly and tenderly to give your soul to the Lord and present your body to him as a living sacrifice. Sin is filthy. But then there was imposed upon Tamar the unimaginable agony of shame. Remember her question, and I whether shall I cause my shame to go? It's not hard to discern that these words were clothed in agony and fashioned in anguish. You will note that Tamar uh, took personal ownership of her shame. Whether shall I cause my shame to go? And no doubt the tender-hearted friend would have tried desperately to persuade her that this was not her fault and that she should not be the subject of her own condemnation. 
But even the most kindly spoken words could not alleviate the sense of shame that flowed through every fiber of her being. Before she entered the crime scene, she was publicly distinguished as a woman of moral virtue. Her garment of diverse colors marked her out as a young woman who was principled in her conduct and disciplined in her behavior. She was a credit to all who were privileged to have known her. Immediately after Ammon's sinful, wicked, and damnable intrusion into her life, she rent her royal garment, put ices upon her head, and went on crying. It is conceivable that her thoughts of personal shame were compounded with questions over her own strength of resistance or her failure to see the sinister side of her half-brother. Could I have been more determined to withstand his force? Should I have been made more than never to raise the alarm? In this she was inflicting herself with a degree of pain of which she was not worthy. But I do suggest that that is an established pattern throughout the world, that people do take the blame for the sin of others. On not a few occasions, I have talked with dear parents whose son or whose daughter has traversed a pathway that was blighted with the shame of some promiscuous act. And often they have questioned their own perceived contribution to the degenerate actions of their offspring. Could we have done more? Could we have seen the signs? Although I've tried to offer comfort in their art of extremity, I cannot testify of being successful. For as in the case of Tamar, the unimaginable agony of shame that filters through into the human heart like it did for Jacob, whose two boys, Levi and Simei, have brought discredit to the family in the brutal way that they dealt with the Shechemites. Again, I say to the dear unsaved in this congregation, there is nothing, there is nothing glamorous about sin. But in this, I plead with you to always remember that your sin and my sin can have a devastating impact upon those that love you and those that you profess to love. It is impossible to gauge the psychological agony that dominates the parental mind when someone near to them disregards the divinely ordained standard of God's precious word and sin before God and sin before man. Listen to a dear father at the death of his rebellious son.
Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son. The effect that Ammon's wickedness had on Tamar was to sentence her to the house of desolation with this question still embedded in her heart. And I, whether shall I cause my shame to go? Which brings me to this final thought. And that is the universal announcement of the gospel. It may be unknown to me and maybe indeed to those around them that some dear person in this service has been agonizing over this whole issue of shame. That is within the sacred chambers of the heart the shame of sin entwines itself round the most sensitive of emotions. And if that be so, let me assure you that the messenger's remit is not to condemn you, but to point you to the central message of this glorious gospel. And that is looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I read this question the other day and my mind focused in on it, and I, whether shall I cause my shame to go, I just simply wrote at the side of the margin to the cross. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. As a young student minister in Sandown many years ago now, we had a knock at the door just as the service was coming to an end one Sabbath evening. It was a dear man who asked if I could come across the street where he lived, just across from the church, and and talk to him and his dear wife. I did so after church, and he told me the story of their son, their only son, who had left home some three, four years before, and they'd lost contact with him. And although he and his dear wife were Christians, they belonged to the Brethren Assembly, they were heartbroken and troubled about their son. But a few days before he asked me to come and talk to him, a nurse who was attending to their son in the hospital, the fever hospital, not far from here, was able to draw from him something about his background. He had taken seriously ill, 
And this nurse was anxious that his loved ones would know about him. He eventually said that he lived in the street near Sandine Road and she went and she told his parents that their son was in the hospital, the Beaver Hospital, the Fever Hospital as we knew it. He was 21 and he was very ill. And they asked me, because I was sort of in that age bracket at the same time, if I would go and talk to him. And I went and talked to him. We spoke on several occasions, and after, I think, the third or fourth occasion, he gave his heart to the Lord. The disease that he had been inflicted with was to take his life. And some days later he he passed away. And I still remember the occasion at Roselawn Cemetery. The family had asked me if I would do the service. And as we were leaving there was just a private service with the family and an uncle and a grandfather. The mother, she turned round and she looked back at the grave that they were about to fill in. And she said, good night, Robert. We'll see you in the morning. And then she said, I'm glad that Robert died when he was 21. I think she saw the shock in my face. And she said, Mr. McElveen, He could have lived until he was 90 and went to hell. But he died at 21 and he's in heaven. And I can add to that that the shame of those teenage years, whether shall I cause my shame to go, to the cross where the precious blood was shed for the cleansing of our sin. If tonight the Lord in his gracious providence has been pleased to just remind you and indeed remind all of us of what we are in and of ourselves From the crown of her head to the sole of her feet, we're nothing but a mass of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. But there is a place where our sin and our shame can go to, and that's upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him tonight? Is he your saviour? I trust he will be. Let's unite our hearts together, please, as we pray. In just a few moments, our service will be over. But could I just say that if there is any dear heart that 
may feel the need of some help and some encouragement, please do not hesitate to speak. We'll be delighted, and there's others here will equally be delighted to talk to you. If you've been struggling and wrestling with this whole issue of shame, it drags you down and it pulls you into a state of great despair. Let me remind you that burdens are lifted at Calvary and that Jesus is very real. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening. Father, tonight we ask of thee to speak to every heart. We know that thy word is true and we're glad that there is a place where our shame can go to. And we stand in amazement at that thought that it is upon the pure, sinless, Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, please save tonight. Draw to thyself not only those who are gathered here but even those who will be listening that they might be spoken to that the Spirit of God would unveil their understanding And in their living room, wherever they might be, may they simply cry out, Lord, save me. This we humbly pray for our Saviour's sake. Amen. We're going to just...